They say that these puberty blockers are reversible. That is a lie. This is not a pause button. This is a fast train toward becoming a medical patient for life. Today, I sit down with January Littlejohn, a parental rights advocate and mental health professional. In 2021, she filed a lawsuit against her daughter's Florida school district after school officials met with her 13-year-old daughter without her consent to discuss a six-page so-called gender support plan. It wasn't just changing names and pronouns. They asked her which restroom she preferred to use, which sex she preferred to room with on overnight field trips. And then they said, how should we refer to you when we speak to your parents? Should we use your birth name and pronouns to effectively deceive us that the meeting had ever taken place? This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellick. January Littlejohn, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me. January, we're going to talk about you know this incredible journey you've been on. Before we go there, um, you actually have a background in mental health, and I want to get you just to tell me about you know that. How is it that you came to be in this position today? Sure. So I'm actually a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. I'm not currently practicing, but when I was practicing, I had started out as a substance abuse counselor working with adolescents. And then I moved to a university position where I created and ran a program for college students with ADHD. Mm -hmm. So I've always kind of worked with adolescent populations, been very interested in brain-based behavior, how the brain impacts learning, all of those types of things really interested me when I was practicing. Why don't you tell me the story of what happened to your daughter and, uh, and your interactions with her and it? So, Ironically, since I was specializing in ADHD, um, my daughter also was diagnosed with ADHD. That was a struggle for her to fit in, um, in school especially. So when she went to middle school, she kind of found this friend group that she matriculated to that accepted her and we were thrilled initially. And we started to see some warning signs that, that maybe this wasn't a healthy place for her to be. Um, fast forward to the spring of 2020, our daughter out of the blue expressed to us that she was confused about her sex. And this was after three of her friends in her in-person friend group at school had also started identifying as transgender. And when a child makes this pronouncement, especially out of the blue back in 2020, there wasn't a lot of information. So we were really struggling, especially since she had never expressed any kind of gender confusion leading up to this announcement. We were soliciting help from a mental health professional and really just trying to get to the root of her issue because like so many other of these kids that fall into this ideology, she also had co-occurring mental health issues, um, anxiety, she's ADHD, She's also gifted, which kind of brings into um, the situation where her giftedness puts her intelligence really high, but with her ADHD keeps her emotional intelligence and maturity low. And so for some of these kids, until their brain matures, it almost reads like spectrum behavior, mm. like children with autism. Mm -hmm. So this is not uncommon when you have co-occurring giftedness and ADHD. 
Mm -hmm. um, and with my background, I knew all of this. Mm -hmm. And so we embraced her quirkiness. We allowed her to dress how she wanted. She's very artistic, as many of these kids are. Um, and when this happened, she immediately, like many of these kids, wanted a name change, changed pronouns. At the time, she was identifying as non-binary. So we're, we're still kind of trying to grasp what that even was because in my clinical training, of course I knew what transgender was. I knew um, what gender dysphoria was, which is a mental health diagnosis, but it was very rare. And you certainly weren't hearing about clusters of friends. Like, so for me, when she would come home and say these things, in my mind, I was thinking statistically, this is impossible. The other thing that I saw as a precursor, and a lot of parents that I've spoken to see as well, is you've got 10 and 11 year olds coming out as bisexual and pansexual when they've had zero experience in terms of dating, relationships, never even held someone's hand, much less been kissed. But yet they are identifying in these sexualities that they don't fully understand. Mm. And that really becomes a gateway into these identities. So we told our daughter with the help of the therapist and the suggestion of the therapist that we're not going to affirm this identity. This was happening very quickly. It was escalating very quickly. And we were concerned because her mental health was getting worse. And we told the school that we were not affirming at home, but we felt like we couldn't stop her from going by a nickname. And that's honestly what I thought it would be treated as. You know, John goes to school and wants to be called Johnny. And my daughter, several weeks later, got into the car after school and said, Mom, I had a meeting today with school officials, and they asked me which restroom I wanted to use. And I was immediately taken back. I, I didn't know why they would be having a meeting, first of all, with my child without telling me because my daughter, because of her ADHD, has a 504 plan on file. I have been present and involved at every 504 plan meeting. And I knew by law, they could not even implement a 504 plan without my signature and being there um, because she's a minor. And, and just very briefly, for those mm -hmm. that might not be in the know, what is a 504 plan? So a 504 plan is, by law, children that have learning disabilities or diagnosis, they are afforded accommodations under the ADA. And so that kind of dictated what accommodations she was privy to, to help her be successful in school. Mm -hmm. So I immediately emailed the guidance counselor, whom I knew, and said, I have great concerns that my daughter's telling me she had a meeting that I wasn't aware of, and you asked her which restroom she wanted to use. That did not even occur to me. Why would they be asking her that? There's no non-binary bathrooms. There are male bathrooms, female bathrooms, and then unisex bathrooms. So I don't, I didn't even, this didn't even register in my brain. I was called back with both the guidance counselor and the assistant principal and was told that by law, my daughter was now protected from me, her parent, under a non-discrimination law, and they could not give me any information about the meeting that had taken place with my 13-year-old child. And how did you respond to that? 
I was irate. I was confused because I'm a very involved parent. I was volunteer of the year at this middle school. So I wasn't a stranger parent where they weren't really sure about the dynamic of our family or our relationship. I was up at the school running their coffee room. I ran their red, white, and blue day. There was no reason for them to have not contacted me, notified me, and included me in this meeting. Mm. So they told me that my only recourse at this point was to go speak with the assistant superintendent at the district, which I immediately did. And you have to remember, this was fall of 2020. So this is at the height of COVID. A lot of schools didn't even reopen in other states. And so we were grateful on the one hand that our children were able to go back to school in person, but we were not allowed on campus. So all of this communication was done either via email or by phone. So just to give you an idea of how long this took, the violation occurred when school had started, but we did not get an, a meeting with the principal until the end of October. And we were shown the transgender gender non-conforming support plan that they had completed with our 13-year-old daughter behind closed doors without our notification or consent. It was done with a school counselor, the assistant principal, and a social worker I had never met. So you have three adults in a room with a 13-year-old child, and then they put the burden of whether or not my parental rights would be respected and whether or not my husband and I would be invited to attend this meeting on our child. She was the sole determinator. And so in this support plan, it wasn't just changing names and pronouns. They asked her which restroom she preferred to use. They asked her which sex she preferred to room with on overnight field trips. And then they did something particularly egregious. They said, how should we refer to you when we speak to your parents? Mm -hmm. Should we use your birth name and pronouns to effectively deceive us that the meeting had ever taken place. So parents in our situation, and ours is by far not an isolated case, that may have not even known their child was experienced confusion, everybody at the school, staff, teachers, students, counselors, would know this child has assumed a different identity, maybe using opposite sex facilities, putting that child's safety at risk, and the, the, the safety of others. And the parents would be the only ones not in the know. I also wanted you to clarify, when you say the violation, what, is, what do you mean exactly when you say that? Well, it was a violation of our, our parental rights. It is our constitutional right to direct the upbringing of our child, which includes mental health and medical decisions. And what this was, this process was of them sitting down and going through these questions with our child, that is called social transitioning. Mm -hmm. This is actually a psychosocial medical intervention that schools are grossly unqualified to be doing, especially without parental involvement. Because many of these children have co-occurring issues like previous trauma, eating disorders, anxiety, depression, 
ADHD, autism, and when they are meeting with these children, a lot of those co-occurring issues are going unexplored and unresolved because the parents are unaware that their child is struggling. What do you think about the fact that, you know, you have this very unique background, I mean, compared to the general population that would allow you to kind of just assess this in a way that a lot of parents simply couldn't? I don't really have an answer to that other than I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I have this background because I know how mental health counseling works. I know what ethical treatment looks like. I know that when you provide counseling to a minor child, the parents are still in charge of that child. They are to direct that bringing. It is not my job to take that child and keep secrets from the parents. And that is not in the best interest of a child or the parent-child relationship. Activism has infiltrated the schools. And when they socially transition these children, they are putting them along a pathway. Social transition is the first step toward medical transition. And when parents really discover what gender affirming care is, that we are essentially experimenting, giving children experimental puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, which will eventually sterilize them, parents are horrified that schools would be taking them along this pathway and not just neutral. This is not a neutral intervention they're doing. They are celebrating these kids. My daughter had a lot of positive reinforcement for this identity. She wasn't celebrated when she was identifying as a girl in this manner. It was only when she came out with this false identity that she was told she was brave, getting all kinds of attention, getting you know a private meeting where she gets to decide whether or not mom or dad are included. That's an incredible amount of power to be and a burden to be putting on a child. But what it really is doing is it's creating a huge wedge between the parent and child relationship. And there is no other circumstance in school where they are doing this. There's really not because research has shown us that parental involvement is one of the most significant factors in student successful outcomes. So why would we all of a sudden forget this knowledge and assume all parents to be the enemy or a danger to their child, but only in this one area? You know, you just kind of blew my mind earlier um, because I didn't grasp fully that social transitioning or this affirming behavior is actually a medical intervention in itself. I mean, I'm even getting shivers just thinking about that because this is clearly being applied all over the place by people who frankly have no idea what they're doing. Right. And what it's really doing is it's concretizing this idea in a child's mind. Yes, I was born in the wrong body, that this is, this is the right path forward. And what it's really doing, which is very tragic for me as a mental health professional to see is many of these kids have a deep self-loathing. And so when you are affirming this transgender identity, what you're really affirming and confirming in the child's mind is this self-hatred. And it's causing a lot of these children to look at their bodies as just parts 
and it's encouraging them to disassociate from their body parts. And so for instance, a lot of these teenage girls who are at the cusp of puberty already feeling uncomfortable in their bodies, which we all went through. This is a normal process of going through adolescence. But instead of being told that, they're being told, well, if you're uncomfortable with your breast, it's because you're probably transgender and you can just cut them off. They use euphemisms like top surgery that's really a double mastectomy. So they're glossing over what these, you know, severe, very serious surgical interventions are and treating them as if they are just very simple procedures that you can have done if you don't like a, a specific body part. You know, I've, I've looked at the data and there is a, a kind of an explosion in children going to these pediatric gender clinics. What do you make of that? I think it's really frightening because what we have done, we have taken a mental health issue and these children and adults struggling with confusion over their sex, they deserve compassion, but they also deserve ethical evidence-based treatment. And what we have seen is activism infiltrate not just our schools, but our psychological associations, our medicine. We're going to see a huge population of people who have been affirmed, medicalized, and then come to the realization when their brains fully develop that this did not fix their pain, that this was not the root cause of their issue. And this is why you are seeing the UK, Finland, Sweden, actually do a proper assessment of the evidence being used to justify these radical interventions. And they are reversing course. They are saying, the risk outweigh the benefit. And we don't have all the data to be affirming all of these individuals and putting them on a pathway, being a patient for life. Think about that. A child who is nine or 10 years old that you are putting on this medical pathway because they start the child on puberty blockers around 10 or stage two of puberty when the secondary sex characteristics are just starting. But when you stop that process, this has never been done before on this scale. So what we're finding and just even the preliminary research being done is you're also stopping bone development. So we're seeing bone density loss in these children and adolescents. We may be stopping brain development because there's all kinds of things that happen during adolescence, you know, with our brain and going through puberty, that process itself is not fully understood. So why would we think that we would understand the process of completely halting it and then automatically putting these children on cross-sex hormones because they call it a pause button? That is a lie. They say that these puberty blockers are reversible that is a lie. And the reason we know these are lies is because we are seeing the negative side effects. So this is not a pause button. This is a fast train toward become a medical patient for life. How can you claim that children can consent to this? Hmm. It's all based on self ID. We don't have a test like 
in diabetes or any other kind of medical diagnosis where we're given medication. There's no blood test to determine which child will desist and which will persist in their gender dysphoria. So we're taking a feeling the child has, we're taking a mental health diagnosis and we are trying to alter their body before their brain is even fully developed to fix what's in their mind. And this is all being done in the context. We're in a time where a lot of people are actually confused about identity. I mean, that, that, that itself is a, I don't want to call it an epidemic, but there's, there's, there's a lot of that from well, what I understand. Absolutely. And this is nothing new. Adolescents, they're known for having an identity crisis and not knowing who they are and exploring and trying on different, you know, hobbies and clothing styles and personas and rebelling against their parents. They're trying to find who they are and where they fit into society. That is nothing new. What's new is we have taken a mental health diagnosis, we've normalized it, and we're medicalizing children. How can you say that a child can, can consent to their sterilization at age 11? How can you say that a child can consent to loss of future sexual function? And what's gonna happen? And this is what keeps me up at night. How are these children going to feel when they reach the age of adulthood, their brains finally mature, and they realize what's been done to their bodies, and they realize the people that were supposed to protect them and love them the most allowed this to happen? And, you know, honestly, I, I don't put the blame on the parents because a lot of these parents are being told that if you don't affirm your child in this transgender identity, regardless of how long they have felt this way, how old they are, other comorbid issues such as trauma, if you don't affirm your child, they will commit suicide. Not that it's a risk factor, because it is. That is a concern. But how do we, know, how do we not know that the suicidal ideation comes from the root causes and the co-occurring issues versus not affirming. And parents are not being given all the treatment options available. So how can you really give informed consent to an experimental treatment when you're not being given the whole picture? They are not told that the majority of these children will desist if you give them a loving, supportive, neutral environment without socially or medically transitioning your child, that most of them will desist. They will outgrow and resolve their distress with or without psychotherapy. It really depends upon the child. And I'm not oversimplifying this because a lot of these kids really are in true distress, but they have misdiagnosed their pain. They think gender identity is the answer. And in fact, many times they are being led to believe that gender identity is the solution. What child or teen who's in real distress wouldn't grab a hold of that, that solution being offered to them and saying, that person that you hate, that was bullied, that was sexually assaulted or molested, 
you can leave that all behind. Now you're this new person. They're being given a solution that's not real. No matter what these children or teens or adults do to their physical bodies, you cannot change your sex. Your DNA will stay the same. Many of these kids are spiraling because what it does is it puts these kids at war with their bodies. And it's a war they're never going to be able to win. You can't outrun biological truth. And that's what a lot of people that are detransitioning are saying. They're saying, we were pushed along a path, a medical pathway. Our underlying issues were not explored. No one tried to stop me. No one said, wait a second, let's explore why you are rejecting your femaleness. Let's explore why you think becoming a boy is going to solve your distress. No one stopped them. And they have to come to that realization on their own that it did not fix their internal pain. And so many of them are now detransitioning and left with permanent irreversible changes to their bodies like hair loss, vaginal atrophy, permanent voice changes. Many of them through breast binding have deformed breast or they went through with the double mastectomy so they no longer have breast. And so these, we're going to see real people that have gone through these pathways and you're going to see the scars of it. It's going to be very evident. Well, and, and we already do in Europe, this is being addressed. I mean, there's multiple lawsuits against this Tavistock clinic in the UK that was shut down because of doing, as I understand it, very similar things to what you're describing, if not exactly the, those things. Well, that's exactly right. And so Kira Bell was an incredibly brave detransition woman who took it upon herself to sue Tavistock. And what they did that the U.S. had not done until Florida just started to take these steps was to do a proper evaluation of the medical evidence and research being used to justify these treatments. And for so long, people that were raising the alarm bells here in the U.S., like Dr. Michael Laidlaw, Dr. William Malone, even Dr. Paul McHugh, who shut down the first transgender clinic back in John, Johns Hopkins, they were all silenced, called transphobic, and told to go away. Segum tried to have just a table of information. Segum is Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, who they, they believe that watchful waiting is the path, you know, a treatment option, okay? Um, they were told by American Academy of Pediatrics that they were not allowed to have a table. So when you are not even allowing this, this conversation, this debate to happen, for something as significant as sterilizing children, chemically castrating them, and taking away their future sexual function, that is no longer medicine. That is ideology.
And then there's this other element you mentioned earlier in our discussion that it was statistically impossible to have this cluster of gender dysphoric girls, right, in your school or, or, clo- or, or you know, extremely unlikely. Um, so there's this sort of, there's been this element of social contagion that's been discussed, which I know you've been thinking about a lot. Absolutely. And so what you have happening at the same time as the normalization of transgender identities. And again, I firmly believe that these, these people struggling deserve compassion. They should never be discriminated against for any reason. Nobody should. But when you normalize a mental health issue, then you introduce ideology into the school system. I mean, it's really been infiltrating our culture now for a very long time. 2015 was really kind of a, a, a tipping point where the activism that had been focused on getting gay marriage legalized switched to transgender activism. And so what you started to see in the school systems are activist groups implementing guides into public schools and private in some circumstances all over our country under the guise of how are you best supporting your LGBTQ youth? And they would throw around the suicide statistics. They would talk about the homeless population, how these children are at risk, and they would put these guides into place in the schools. And they called them guides in the state of Florida for a very specific reason. If it's a policy, it has to go through the school board. When it goes to the school board, It goes through the light of day where parents then are made aware and can comment and give their input into that policy. If it's a guide, it doesn't have to go through the school board, but you can still treat it as policy. You can still train all of the teachers, the staff, everybody from the guidance counselor to the cafeteria worker. So what we saw in Florida was these guides were in place that were directing the schools Mm -hmm. to cut parents out of these gender support plans being done. And in fact, it is so bad that the American School Counselor Association, if you look at any of their kind of conferences, they over and over direct them to cut parents out, that parent permission is not necessary, that it's very damaging to a child to not affirm, which I would argue the opposite. And not only that, these activist organizations were instructing school counselors to not put the gender support plans in the student's cumulative file, put them somewhere else so that if a parent asked for the child's records, like through FERPA, that gender support plan would not be in that child's file. So the parent would still be in the dark. As you're discussing this, it just strikes me that, you know, there are, there are situations where children need to be removed from parents or parents might might not be notified as, or initially when children are moved away. And that's in a situation where there's abuse. Absolutely. Right. So is this basically parents that disagree, have a different perspective, or are looking at other information, uh, are they basically being treated as abusers? Well, they're being presumed that way, aren't they? 
Because if you are stating in these guides or as your policy that outing a child to their parents may lead to abuse, you can't assume that before you have that evidence. All teachers, and even myself as a counselor in the state of Florida and in most states, are mandatory reporters. So if you have any suspicion that there is abuse or ne neglect happening with a child, you are mandated to report that to DCF, Department of Children and Families, or you will lose your license. This is no different. So we already had that law in place. Why did they feel the need to still cut parents out. And you know, the, going back to the social transition, this is so critically important because even though we now have further protections in the state of Florida, there are many states that don't. Look at Virginia. Look at what is happening in Virginia. Thank God we have a Surgeon General here in Florida who understands this issue, has looked at the evidence, has looked at the research, and he came out last it was either March or April of 2022 and said to not socially transition these children, to not medically transition these children because the majority of them will desist. And when you socially transition a child, you make it then statistically less likely that they will desist. And isn't that what we would want? Isn't that what we would want? And it's what we wanted 20 years ago when I was doing my clinical work. You wanted that child to reintegrate with their body as they are. So let's take eating disorders, for instance. We don't affirm an anorexic in her distorted view of her body. Even if she says, if you don't let me take diet pills, I'm going to kill myself. We don't say, okay, you're right. Anything to prevent suicide, here, here you go. That would be completely unethical. It is impossible for a clinician to affirm everything a, a client says. Otherwise, I mean, why, why would you even need a, a therapist at that point? So to, to talk about exploratory therapy as something negative in this one area of gender dysphoria is, is not only wrong, it's unethical. One of the biggest issues with how these policies are developed and we're starting to see some dissension within the LGBT community about this is the LGB is vastly different than the T. So when you group sexual orientation and gender identity together, it's not the right thing to do. They're very different. Sexual orientation does not involve making medical changes to your body. Gender identity does. And so when you're combining these issues together under one policy, it doesn't make sense because they are nowhere near the same. Another thing that strikes me is that this use of guidelines as policy, it's not just in this area that mm -hmm. I've seen that you know, play out. In fact, multiple areas. I'm just curious if you've thought about that. Well, that's what's, you know, as we continue to go deeper and deeper into this issue, I just became more and more horrified. Not only about what the schools were doing, but then we see the normalization through movies, through 
anime, comics, children's programming, you start to see this gender ideology being injected into all aspects of our culture, including our government. And so what we are doing and seeing is that schools really have become ground zero for this gender ideology. And, and I think it's really important for people to understand that we, when we think of a transgender identity, people often assume it means someone who is expressing distress over their gender that doesn't align with their biological sex and they, per, per, they, um, they wanna present as the opposite sex. That is no longer what this ideology states. Now, children and teens are being taught that you can be a boy, you can be a girl, you can be neither, or you can be both. They are being taught that, that gender identity is completely separate from biological sex and that sex is a spectrum. That is a lie. You are born male or female with the rare exception of intersex or disorders of sexual development. Lie number two, children are being told that you can be born in the wrong body. You can be born a girl, but have a boy brain or vice versa. And this type of education is being interjected into sex ed curriculum in many states. In some states like New Jersey, it is embedded into every subject from K through 12. Children are very impressionable. And Mary Hassan has brilliantly stated that children look to the adults in their life to make sense of their world. It is not hard to get a child to believe a lie because they trust the adults in their life to tell them the truth. And we are not telling these children the truth. If you Google gender identities and how many there are, I think we're up to 73. And each one of these identities comes with its own colors, its own flags. That is, that is very enticing to young children who are looking for an identity, looking for a place to belong and fit in. And initially, they find that within these GSA clubs, that's Gender and Sexuality Alliance clubs, on middle school and high school campuses. But the number one rule of this group is you can't ask questions and you cannot have a differing opinion about any of it. Otherwise, you are immediately ostracized and kicked out of the group. You know, you know a lot about this whole realm, and I, I guess I wanted you to tell me a little bit about your process, because at the beginning you said, we were very confused, we trusted the school, had my daughter's best interests in mind. And so just, just tell me about how that process happened. Or it was hard. You know, as a, as a mental health therapist, initially I experienced my own cognitive dissonance because I was trained to affirm and I didn't have any clients that were having confusion over their sex. I didn't have much experience with that. I had clients that identified as gay and bisexual, but that wasn't the reason why they were in therapy. So it wasn't relevant. Mm -hmm. And so it took me some time to figure out what was happening. Luckily, 
Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, had come out based on Dr. Lisa Littman's research. And these are not right-wing conservative people that were studying this and writing this, by the way. Um, Dr. Lippman describes herself as a very liberal Democrat who happened to be curious about what she was seeing, which was clusters of girls becoming confused over their sex and coming out as transgender and friend groups. And she thought, that's interesting. And, and that's what really stood out to me the most when I started to really look deeper into this was the lack of curiosity. Why was no one asking questions? Where was the curiosity from legacy media as to why we were seeing an increase? And I don't even mean a, a sign and a value as to whether it's good or bad, but just why is it happening? Is this a good thing that we're seeing young girls being confused over their sex at a rapid pace and getting medicalized and getting double mastectomies? Walt Heyer said it best when he said, when you inject gender ideology into the schools and you destabilize these ch children's identity and you confuse them over something as simple as biological sex, we are now manufacturing children who think they are transgender. They are creating confusion in children where no previous confusion existed. That is wrong and that is evil. And that word, transgender, no longer has a coherent meaning. It means whatever that person wants it to mean. That, that is not scientific, but yet we are making very serious medical changes to children's and teens' bodies based on a non-scientific feeling. So you're in the Leon County school system. And um, so when did you first come across this LCS, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender nonconforming and questioning support guide? So when we continued to ask for legal justification that was allowing Leon County schools, the, the school where she attended, to meet not just with my child, but any child, finally we were showed this guide. Now this guide has been rescinded hmm. and they have revised and created a new guide. But this was the guide that was in place when they met with my daughter. And it very clearly states in this guide in one of the Q and A's, it says a student exhibits LGBTQ behavior or identity. Should parents be notified? No. Outing a student, especially to parents, can be very dangerous to the student's health and well-being. Outing students to their parents can literally make them homeless. Well, so it's very clear. And even though this guide has been rescinded, this same narrative, these same policies and guides are being used all over our country in schools around this nation. Well, it just two things strike me here. First one is that it's not just the parents that are being made fearful. What if I do the wrong thing? What if I cause my child to commit suicide, right? It seems like it's the counselors or even therapists that are being made fearful. It's the most dangerous thing through these guidelines. 
The second thing is just that perhaps it was rescinded in part due to your work. Well, I'm grateful that it was rescinded, but I am not confident that children are still not being socially transitioned in the state of Florida, even with these new protections in place, because there are activists, school counselors, and some teachers that firmly believe that not affirming a child is extremely harmful. And in, in some cases, I believe that parents are not being told about watchful waiting, which is the treatment approach that we took with my child, where you give your child the space to dress how he or she wishes, wear their hair how he or she wishes, but anything that's going to harm them or cause irreversible changes to their bodies, it's a no. So you set these healthy boundaries and you give the child counseling when appropriate to work on other root causes or comorbid issues. And you give that child time to mature and resolve the other issues. And, and one thing that's really important about that is this Dutch protocol that Dr. Spack brought over to Boston Children's Hospital to start the use of puberty blockers here in the US. The Dutch were very clear and they had very, very specific strict criteria for utilizing the puberty blockers in this manner. And one of, one of the criteria was the child could not have co-occurring mental health issues. That should blow everybody's mind because the majority of the detransitioners and the kids that are being seen at these clinics and being fast-tracked on this path to lifelong medicalization and sterilization have co-occurring mental health issues, some significant. And you've got places like Planned Parenthood and apps like Plume where you can go into Planned Parenthood and get testosterone on your first visit. They treat it as if it's birth control. So they're saying it's discriminatory to not give equal easy access to cross-sex hormones the same way you would birth control. Plume is an app where you can log on, pay $100 a month, have a telehealth visit with someone, and they shift the hormones directly to your door with a video showing you how to inter inject the hormones. There is no safeguarding anymore. This is the wild west of gender medicine. Yeah, I guess it comes back to ideology trumping reality. Yeah, it, it does. And it's all parents should be very concerned about this because even if you have your child in what you think is a, a safe school, like let's say it's a private Christian school or you're homeschooling, your child will be exposed to this ideology at some point. And if parents keep their children in public school, you've got to ask questions. You've got to know what protocol is in place. Ask and get it in writing. Ask your school guidance counselor, ask the principal. What is your policy? What does your guidance tell you as a school? If, a, if my child becomes confused about their sex and they want to change their name and pronouns and use the opposite sex facilities, are you going to notify me as a parent?
and get it in writing. If your child becomes confused over their sex, make it crystal clear that you do not want the school affirming your child, that you will handle it as a family, that you think affirming a child in a false identity is harmful, and that you only consent to giving that school permission to using your child's birth name and pronouns. And the third thing that parents absolutely have to be doing, especially parents with young children, you need to be inoculating your children from this. You need to be teaching them the truth that there are two sexes, male and female, and no matter what you do, you can't change it. And that way, when they hear this noise, when they hear the lies, they will recognize them for what they are, lies. This is a mental health issue and it needs to be dealt with psychotherapy first. And that is what all the other European countries are doing where this issue is not politicized like it is here. And I can tell you very clearly, the parents that I speak with, the families that are falling prey, it is not only tearing them apart, these children are not thriving. Their mental health is spiraling. Many of them are in and out of psychiatric facilities. And this is even when the parents are affirming. So think about that. If affirming is the best treatment, then why are we still seeing these same children in and out of psychiatric facilities? We, we still see, and this is, this is a statistic that nobody talks about, some of the best research that we have tells us that post-transition, so these are people that have already gone through the medical transitions, the suicide rate is 19 times that of the normal population. And this comes out of Sweden, where they are very um, compassionate and accepting of LGBTQ people. So if this is the end-all be-all solution, and this is the only thing that we should be doing, why are we still seeing the suicide rate skyrocket post-transition? Why are we not able to have this debate in the United States? The medical associations and profession has lost its way on this issue. And it is past time for us to be able to have this debate out in the open. And you need these doctors who are doing these procedures, cutting their breast off of 13, 14, and 15 year old girls you need to justify these radical interventions you are giving these children. WPATH, the main organization that came out with these, quote, standards of care, and they even admit, and WPATH for your audience is World Professional Association of Transgender Health. So this is where this affirmation only protocol came from. It was derived from these standards of care but then when you look at what WPATH says, they first of all say there is no medical consensus on the best way to treat children with gender dysphoria. Then they also say, these aren't really standards of care, these are guidelines. But then you have all the major medical associations adopting these guidelines as if they are actually standards of care. No, I understand there's some people from WPATH that 
also dissent from these guidelines that have been, been vocal mm -hmm. recently. Yeah, there have been several that have made um, some statements that really shocked even people within WPATH. Um, Dr. Edwards Leeper, Dr. Erica Anderson, and even Dr. Mar Marcy Bowers, who was one of Jazz Jennings surgeons, they have all expressed concern over the amount of teens that they are seeing with no prior history of confusion coming into the clinic wanting hormones and surgical procedures. And so even they are stating, maybe we need to pause and see what is going on and take a more um, comprehensive approach to assessment. For parents that might be watching this and wondering um, what's going on in my school, um, are there any red flags you can point out? Yes. Many of these children spend a great deal of time alone on their phones, on the internet. There are a number of trans influencers on YouTube, TikTok, Abigail Schreier in her book, Irreversible Damage, dedicated an entire chapter to the trans influencers because they're so powerful, they're so intriguing, they're very convincing. And so it's really important that parents monitor what their kids are seeing and consuming. I am not a proponent of children under the age of 16 having a smartphone. And even then, Parents, your number one job is to protect your child. You need to know what your children are being exposed to. And kids with smartphones, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, obviously this issue I'm very passionate about, but we're also seeing other significant mental health epidemics coming out of too much phone use, too much time on TikTok, too much time on other social media platforms where eating disorders are perpetuated on Pinterest boards. Self-harm is a big um, cutting. There are other mental health issues. There was an epidemic recently of um, children thinking they have Tourette's after watching hours and hours of YouTubers that also think that they have Tourette's. So we're, we're seeing other types of social contagions occurring aside from this one. So parents absolutely need to know not just what the policies are at school, but what their children are being exposed to. And they need to be present in their children's lives, their day-to-day -day lives. Um, the parents who have been able to get their children to desist, it takes very, in some ways, radical steps. This is a radical ideology that grabs hold of these girls and boys, we're seeing boys as well. I don't wanna just say it's, a, it's an issue with vulnerable girls. But the bottom line is these children were already vulnerable in some way. Mm. They were already feeling like they didn't belong, they didn't fit in, and this is the answer. And so if it hadn't been this that they fell into, it may have been something else that they used as an escape. But many of these girls in particular, they're uncomfortable with their developing body they have an intense fear of being sexualized, which we all know is an issue in our society. 
Um, and many of them have had, unfortunately, negative sexual experiences, whether it's assault, incest, trauma, or even just unwanted advances that made them feel uncomfortable in their bodies. And so some of the warning signs that you would see would be um, a drastic change in mood, their child being withdrawn, um, wanting to change and alter their appearance overnight. Um, the flags, are they coming home with propaganda? The pronoun pens, flags, what clubs are they in at school? Some of these clubs, these GSA clubs that are really indoctrination machines for this kind of ideology are being held at lunchtime. So parents, you don't need to drop them off early or know that they're staying after school. It's being done within the school day so parents are unaware that their children are even involved in these clubs. I think parents, especially of young children, need to be having these conversations. Even if, even if you have an older teenager, ask them, what are you learning about gender at school? What are some of your ideas of gender? And that's going to tell you a lot as to how exposed they have been to this ideology. Ask them, you know, I've, I've been hearing the word non-binary. What is that? Let's explore that together because I want to make sure you're getting accurate information. And so kind of getting a sense of what their kids have already been exposed to, what they believe, and then making sure that they have actual accurate information based on science and not ideology. The other thing that I tell parents, especially parents who find themselves in our position where their child does become confused over their sex, you have to parent this issue like any other issue. A lot of parents, when this happens, they see such a radical change in their child, seemingly overnight, it escalates very quickly from just wanting a different, you know, just some different clothes, to I wanna change my name and pronouns, to I want a binder, to I need hormones and puberty blockers, and, or I can't be my authentic self. But again, these children, they don't have the cognitive maturity to understand what they are asking for. They just don't. This is why we have laws in place to protect minors. They can't drink, they can't vote, they can't get tattoos. There's a whole plethora of things that minors cannot do because we know that they're not capable of fully understanding the consequences, especially the long-term consequences. And many of these kids, they don't have the ability to know how they're gonna feel about not having breast in 20 years, 10 years. So they need their parents to set these healthy boundaries, to teach them what this, you know, what, what are the consequences of this? Let's have a conversation. You're stating that you want this, but you know, a lot of these kids, they'll ask for puberty blockers, like it's a nose ring. They don't understand the scope or the scale of what they're asking, of what that, those puberty blocking drugs would do to their body. They're just in emotional pain and they want that pain to stop. And they're being told this is the answer. So you affirm their pain, but not the false identity. And I just tell parents, don't be afraid to parent this. 
You can't freeze. They need you. Your child needs you to help them through this confusion. Because again, to believe that a child can change their sex, it's a lie. This entire ideology is built on quicksand and it is sinking fast. You cannot claim that gender identity is innate and that you're born this way, but then also claim that it's fluid and it changes. So if it's fluid and changes, then why are we making irreversible changes to children's bodies when we know their, their brains are not fully developed? We know that feelings are not facts and we know that adolescents are notorious for having rapidly changing moods, feelings, thoughts, wishes, behaviors. None of this makes sense with any kind of scrutiny. So when you launched this lawsuit, what was the reaction like of the world, I guess? You know, I really didn't know what to expect. And I think that uh, there's so much fear around this subject because it is controversial, because it is sensitive. And once we started to really shed a light on what was truly happening, People were grateful. I have received a handful of messages that were negative, but for every one of those messages, I have received 20 messages of thanks and gratitude. You know, it, it's amazing to hear that, that you've gotten so much positive feedback uh, because very often you only hear about you know, these attempts at so-called cancellation or you know, attacks on your person because this um, it seems like one of the ways in which, you know, people are prevented or maybe are afraid to speak up because they're worried that there will be this kind of reaction. And, you know, I had so many people tell me that exact thing. If you're going to go forward, you need to use a pseudonym. You can't use your real name. You need a VPN. You need all these things to protect yourself. And at the end of the day, I was not going to be intimidated. Children and the long-term mental and physical health of children is too important. And if children are not worth fighting for, what is? And I would not have been able to sleep at night or look myself in the mirror if I did not fight this with my mental health background, knowing how unethical, un unethical and harmful this truly is. Silence was not an option. And what's happening now is courage begets courage. Parents are standing up. They're realizing, call me whatever name you want. We're going to have this debate. It's time. How many kids' lives are going to be ruined because they were not given all of the information? And that's my biggest concern is not only the amount of children that are going to come to regret these decisions, but would those parents have made a different choice? If they were told, I know this seems scary and I know that suicide is absolutely a risk factor, but if you love and support your child and we, we try to get to the underlying root of this, this gender dis distress and confusion, Statistically, your child will probably outgrow this. They will probably resolve it and it's going to be okay. I'm going to give you a couple of just simple scenarios. I imagine in America today, 
there are many parents that are experiencing what you're what you experienced where their kid comes to them and says um i'm of a different gender than my sex mm-hmm. so as a parent what is the reaction what is what is your advice about a reaction i would say research do not freak out on your child stay calm ask questions be curious work on your relationship with your child because one of the biggest indicators of children desisting is having a strong parent-child relationship because that child is being told by friends and influencers that if your parents don't immediately affirm you, they don't love you. They don't accept you. And your real family, your glitter family awaits. So they're they're not not only a promised a new identity to fix all of their pain and distress. They're promised a new family. And there are trans influencers out there some that are super explicit in what they say like a a Jeffrey Marsh and then some that are, you know, kind of more subdued that kind of look like you and me that aren't as flamboyant that tell your children things like I know it's hard. I know it's hard to to know that your parents don't love and accept you, but I love you. I accept you. And your glitter family awaits. You can you can DM me anytime and I'll be there for you. And so it's really it's really nefarious what's happening in terms of trying to to put that wedge further and further between a child and a parent. And these are parents that love their children more than anything. And what to me is very scary right now and what we're seeing is in some states to not affirm a child is seen as abuse. Take the state of Virginia, for instance. There is a lawmaker there that wanted to put forward a bill that would criminalize parents who did not affirm. She would criminalize parents like me and take my child from me for not affirming, for not affirming to my daughter that she can and should become my son. It's not possible. It's all a lie. And that is what all the detransitioners are saying. I did all these things to my body and I looked in the mirror and I knew it was a lie. Because a lot of their time and anxiety is spent trying to pass. You'll hear that phrase over and over. I was afraid I wouldn't pass. And what they're referring to is I wouldn't pass as the opposite sex. Because biology doesn't lie. You can grow facial hair, you can cut your hair, you can change your clothes, but your body type and your biology doesn't change. And so these young individuals, they become obsessed in trying to pass as this lie. And many times it becomes too much or they start experiencing severe negative consequences of the cross-sex hormones like testosterone. Female bodies are not meant to have testosterone in their systems. And so they detransition for a number of reasons and it's, it's different for every individual. But I would say to parents, you have to do research. You have to educate yourself. 
There are many parent organizations out there now that are willing to help you, to help you truly understand all the treatment op options. Genspect is a nonpartisan organization that does just that. Um, but there are a lot of really great places that have popped up in the last five to seven years since this has become so prevalent where parents can get accurate information and understand all of their treatment options. When a child falls into this confusion and a parent seeks help, that can be very tricky because if the therapist and the doctors who we are looking to for advice are telling the parents, sometimes in front of the child, if you don't affirm your child in this transgender identity, they are going to commit suicide. Not they may, not it's a risk factor, they will. To a vulnerable child, you are introducing this idea that, oh my gosh, if my parents don't affirm me, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. This is a guaranteed outcome. What parent then is gonna say to the doctor in front of their child, I think we'll wait. What message does that send to the child? What options does that really leave them? I don't blame the parents, I blame the doctors. And I blame the doctors that pretend that this isn't happening and pretend that they don't have a duty to stand up. Pediatricians know this is happening, but think, well, I'm not referring them or I'm not prescribing the puberty blockers, so I'm not complicit in this. They absolutely are complicit. Any doctor who knows this is happening and is not writing the American Academy of Pediatrics or their professional association and governing medical board is complicit in what is happening to these children. I guess the other scenario, and I think that you know, this probably is also quite common. Um, you know, you're a family member or you're a close friend of uh, parents that are facing this situation. And you're, you're, you're just watching this a little bit from the outside, but you're concerned. How, how can you react in this sort of situation? Well, I would encourage the person to support their friends and to ask questions. There, there's, there never should be any harm or threat of asking questions in terms of, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. What kind of research have you done? Mm -hmm. Have you heard about what the UK, Sweden, and Finland are doing or what they're doing down in Florida? Um, ask them, have you heard of the detransitioner speaking out? And it is sensitive because clearly I'm, I'm a parental rights advocate. And so ultimately, it really is up to the parents. But at the same time, I have great concerns that parents are not being given all of the information. And so I think as a, as a friend or a bystander, just sharing information in a compassionate, loving way, that should never be a threat of harm. So I know this is a bit of a sensitive question, um, but how is your daughter and how's the family doing now? Thank you for asking. I am fiercely protective over my daughter's privacy now. No child should ever 
be put in the, in the situation that she was put in by the school. And after several years now, she is on a path to self-love, but that is all I will say. This is her story to tell one day if she ever chooses to do so, but it is, it is not an easy road and we are still dealing with the aftermath and the effects of everything that happened with the school. In just a few words, what is the core of your message to parents in America right now? Parents need to stand up. They need to fight for their parental rights. They need to know what's happening in their child's school. And we need to eradicate gender ideology out of the school system. This is a non-scientific idea that has taken root in our society, but especially in our schools, and we need to get it out of there. Well, January Little John, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for joining January Little John and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek. Mm-hmm.